0: Welcome to The Clarifier. In this episode, I interview Christina Sass. Christina was co-founder and president of Andela, a pioneering marketplace connecting international developer talent with meaningful work opportunities. Today, Andela is valued at over a billion dollars. Christina co-founded the company because she knows that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Her personal mission was to connect high-potential talent in Africa with opportunity across the world. For her, it was a calling, not a job. And she'd always believed that others appreciated her moral imperative. Until she received feedback that her peers on her executive team did not. You assume that this
1: thing can only scale with you and there is like a really beautiful freedom to like if we're doing this right everybody gets layered
0: i invite you to listen to this episode if you yourself are grappling with feedback that challenges your perception of yourself of your strengths christina shares an intimate story of learning to see herself through others eyes and learning that context matters okay welcome to this week's clarifier this week, today, we have Christina Sass on the show. Wait, Christina, correct me once and for all, because everybody I know calls you <laughs> Christina Sass, and every time you introduce yourself, it's Sass. So tell us what it is. real <laughs> skinny. Okay, um, so
1: the um, my fa- father came from Germany. The correct pronunciation is Sass. That said, everyone who knows me before and after a certain period, my nickname is Sass, and so it's very... Yeah, uh, it's like a beloved nickname, and I'm perfectly fine. Most people, it's it's just, there is no Christina or anything else. It's just Sass, and that's totally fine too.
0: <laughs> it is hard not to associate you with the feisty effervescent connotation of sass so.
1: and then there's the whole SAS company you know s-a-a-s which it's misspelled that all the time like we used to have like a joke meme and andella andella is a SAS company you know uh so many many different versions of it i'm perfectly fine with either
0: one. Oh my gosh levels on levels turtles all the way down, down. sasses all the way down <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned Andela for our audience. um, Christina was co-founder and president of Andela, which is a pioneering marketplace connecting international talent, developer talent with meaningful work opportunities. Today, Andela is in over 175 countries with a network of over 200,000 technologists. And for those keeping score, it's a unicorn. It's valued at over a billion dollars. For people who haven't heard about Andela, can you tell us a little bit about the company?
1: Absolutely, we um, we started out in 2014 to really take advantage of uh, the incredible talent pools. We started in six countries in Africa. Started in Nigeria, which is still kind of the mothership um, of the company. I'd been working there for uh, about the last five years um, with the Mastercard Foundation and. We really were marrying some of what we were learning in cutting-edge ed tech in the US with these incredible talent pools. And so, yeah, we launched in 2014 in Lagos with a pilot. We put out a JD that said, do you want to be paid to be a world-class software developer? We didn't, at that time, the name Endela didn't even exist. We didn't even have a landing page. We got over a 1,000 applicants uh, to that. And then we actually put some more rigor behind it and went out and looked at, you know, specific feeder systems for software developers and things. Um, And to our second cohort, we got over 2,500 applicants. And we used a a logical reasoning and problem-solving test based out of Canada. And the owners of the company basically called us and they were like, what the hell is this job description? You guys are crashing all of our servers. We've never had this many people apply to one job. And by the way, you have 48 candidates in this pool that we would consider to be in the top 2% of IQ in the world. And that was just such a crystallizing moment. That's when we all like quit our day jobs and we're like, we will find extraordinary talent. We, um, you know, we know ed tech and, and sort of startup uh, community very well in the states. will find places to place these developers, and we launched on uh, an epic journey to um, to basically prove that um, brilliance is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And go out and find that brilliance. Go out and find people that desperately need that brilliance and make a match. And uh, yeah, today, um, as you said, we're we've got a massive talent pool of several hundred thousand developers. Now we're in many, many more skill sets than we were. And over 200 companies, many more large enterprise level companies than before, and talent from over 130 countries. So,
0: there's a lot unbelievable to, ride. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. And, and as you know, this podcast is not just about sharing the journey, but um, really diving into the moments of hard won learning and personal growth in the journey. So, we'll get to that in a minute. But I want folks to know what you're up to today. Um, so today, you're you're serving as the chair of Andela's Advisory Council. When you're not doing that, how are you spending your time?
1: Yes, I am launching a uh, new uh, fund that is called Dive In, and it really takes... Um, I've just spent really a lot of the last several years being an enthusiastic angel investor. We were in the talent business, and so I met unbelievable tech talent, other women founders, and started to invest, and eventually ended up uh, really referring every single founder that I was close with and working closely with to my executive coach. Uh, My co-founder, Jeremy, and I worked with Jeff Hunter and the team at Talentism um, before Angie was there full-time, but we worked with Talentism for years. And I just accredit a lot of our ability to be able to like Scale ourselves, uh, deep, more deeply understand ourselves, and scale the company to that coaching. And so, when I took a step back to be like, "What am I? What's big enough? What am I uniquely qualified to do? What can I wake up and do every single day for five years?" I was like, "I want to work with these incredible founders, building really unique social enterprise companies, and give them extensive coaching to be able to scale to scale their teams." So I'm doing that, and then I'm also a. Um, I also chair our alumni network at Andela, which is now over 3,000 technologists wow. globally that are just crushing. They're starting companies. They're graduating from Harvard Business School. They're just, yeah, so proud. One of them just got it was COO of the Malala Fund. Like Really incredible humans that I am honored to uh, be able to still share that.
0: I'm glad that our listeners uh, can, can get a glimpse of, and I truly mean just a glimpse of, um, how brilliant and impactful you are in your career. Because um, I don't know if you know this, Christina, but um, I was so impressed and intimidated by you <laughs> when we were first introduced uh, over two years ago now that I prepared for an hour for our 30-minute first first intro <laughs> call. <laughs> um, and here you are today sitting across from me having agreed to be on my podcast. <laughs> well, now the tables
1: have turned and I, I prepare uh, for all of my calls. With you, Angie, but uh, but I also hope I hope that didn't last long because I do feel like, um, yeah, one of the things I've just learned about myself is I really do love to be like fully in it with with founders and with others. That's like it just takes trust. You know, you you just have to like trust quickly and get in there. So anyway, I hope that didn't last long. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that you did is you had the grace to share so much of what you learned and what you learned, um, not because you cracked a book or listened to a podcast, but because you really went through it. Um, and, um, and, and that is, is not glamorous. And in fact, that's what this conversation is about, um, is, is prompting you and giving you a space to share, um, uh, what you learned, And what we don't typically hear about when founders share their stories. Um, And and in particular, my aim, you know, in this conversation and and in all of these podcast conversations is to um, help listeners understand what it's like when you're the leader of an organization and you are called to go through those moments where in order to win, in order to achieve your goals, in order to build your company, you got to do something differently, you got to see yourself more clearly. <laughs> you got to drop the narratives that you held about who you are and about others and and go through that learning. And so I know today you're going to talk to us about a challenging period in your own growth um, where you saw yourself in a new light, when you realized something you previously thought was a strength might not actually be. Um, so can you set the scene for us? Can you describe where you were in your career and what was going on at Andela? absolutely yeah i think um
1: part of the founder journey is a i think an integral part of the founder journey is learning yourself and learning yourself over and over again and learning yourself as the background behind you as the ground beneath you is constantly shifting and what's happening in the background of the company is also shifting massively um and so i did uh you know, I feel like very profoundly grateful to have had people to help me make sense of what was happening with myself in that. So um, so at the time of some of my most painful learning, Andela uh, was really rapidly scaling. We started in um, Lagos. We quickly had about 200 employees there. We expanded to uh, Nairobi, Kenya. I led those expansions and also into Uganda and um, we would quickly be in six countries in Africa with leadership, incredible leadership in each of those countries, with a growing group of, of customers in the States, with a growing group of investors. And, uh, you know, at every single new round that we raised an enormous amount of like pressure and complexity. And so uh Jeremy and I, uh, Jeremy Johnson, my, co-f- my co-founder and dear friend who's still CEO of Endella, um, we're undergoing individual coaching and co-founder coaching. And um, as part of that journey, we were constantly looking at, are we optimized for what the company needs right now? Are we in mm-hmm. roles and responsibilities that make sense and that are of greatest impact to uh, to the company? And frankly, are we in roles that are not, that where we're just... You know, not doing service to um, our employees and our investors.
0: I want to and, pause on yeah. that for a mm-hmm. second because I think for so many people on the outside of a company, on the outside of a startup, it might kind of be a hidden assumption that, like, oh, if you are CEO, CEO, you are CEO. You got to do what CEOs do. <laughs> and and at the time, I think you were chief operating officer, and so like you know, there is stuff you got to wake up and do, so you wake up and do it. And I think I hear you saying part of the founder journey. Was regularly asking the question, these responsibilities I hold, am I well suited to them because I'm what I'm like and because of what it takes to do them well at this new scale? Yeah.
1: That's right. So I would say you, uh, m- a lot of founders wake up and are just too deep in it to have that reflection. This is a gift that our, that our coaching gave us and uh, and there were times of just like when things weren't going well and there was too much friction where we felt responsible responsibility to ask that question. Um, And so for myself and my role, we grew very quickly to big numbers and it became a central question to me. The goal now is to scale this thing from 2000 developers to 10,000 developers quite obviously, if you're looking in from the outside, um, unless I had like a pace of learning and growth that was really unprecedented, it made a lot more sense to go out and find someone that had done that, that had taken a specific talent pool and grown and grown it. Um, and I, I also think that I experienced with my country directors, a lot of founders are very, very good at zero to one. We Love chaos. We love, love these environments. Like, we're not so good at like HR systems across four countries and making sure they're equitable and digging in the weeds before, you know. That's just, we really like m- make things out of chaos. And then uh, when moving that to a well oiled machine, really repeatable processes, like, it's just a different skill set. So, yeah. you know, some of it is like lack of self awareness, and others are just like, you quit being able to be like, I can just stay up all night and research this and be decent at it. Like you just, you know, uh, so for sure that was, yeah.
0: Okay. So we had an unanticipated break when all of my audio input failed, (laughs) but we're back. And I think what I was, um, if, if I were to summarize, um, what was really clicking for me as you were speaking is that, um, the, just the onslaught (laughs) um, that you can face as a founder means it's sometimes difficult to step back and visualize what a different way of deploying yourself could be. Even giving yourself the space to ask that question can feel like a luxury. And that was a luxury, or I would venture to say a necessity that you were afforded through the experience of coaching and working with talentism. And in particular, some of the things that um, necessitate that reevaluation of how to deploy oneself or the change in context, right? The bigger the team that you're managing, the more different the demands, the cross-cultural elements of it may mean that what you were suited to prior um, is, is not what makes sense anymore. And there may be others who can lead parts of your organization through that period of scale. Humans also change through time what you are compulsive about, you know, what provokes fear in you. Um, and I think in particular, what you shared with me as we were preparing for this conversation is um the experience of getting uh, written, documented, 360 feedback as part of your talentism coaching uh, prompted you to think about something you previously thought was a strength and reevaluate whether it was actually a strength of yours. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure.
1: So we did um Founder 360s, and it was so like painful and awesome. But just like when I think back to like some of the more brutal days, um, the readouts of those, like the implications of those, and um, and then, excuse me, I now think they're such a gift, but in the moment, it was a lot of painful learning. And so, one thing in particular uh popped up for me, which was I'd always been told in previous roles, lots of leadership roles. Lots of team members, but kind of a lot of feedback that I was good at receiving feedback. And, you know, one of the things that, that um, surfaced in this kind of in a, a 360 context was that I was ranked as very good at receiving feedback from people that reported into me from a team that I had built. And I was not good at receiving feedback from my peers in the C suite. And uh, that was a super painful and confusing experience at first and one that, through time, reflection, learning about it, uh, really unlocked quite a bit for me.
0: Tell us, why was that painful and what did you make of it?
1: Well, I think a lot of times when you receive what seems to be conflicting information, you're like, those people are wrong. Or those people are, insert whatever you call them here, but they just don't understand, you know, da-da-da. So I think the first one is, my belief was, I'm either good at receiving feedback or I'm bad at receiving feedback. Way oversimplified. And I think this, like, receiving hard evidence was um, a great way to say, okay, you are not, you're definitely not seeing this clearly. And there's something to be learned here because you've got, you know, kind of clear data from one group that is, you know, different, you know, a lot different from another. And so for me, um, what that ended up meaning was that, and it was it was in one particular uh, genre of, <clears throat> let's say, problem solving or things that came up. I was definitely well known on the Adela senior team as being a great voice for our software developers, for like the potential in Africa um, and a way that, I would call commonality between that and other jobs is like a real voice of, of kind of like moral clarity and strength and should and ought. And this is the possibility of these, you know, like this is aligning us to purpose, this sort of thing. Um, and again, like I really had, that had worked well for me in many cases. And I think what came across me like really strongly in this 360 was that this was not just rubbing my peers the wrong way, Um, but that it was not productive. It was, it it was not a, and so what I was experiencing in team meetings was something that I thought was really, really important would be at threat. Something that I thought was kind of core to our purpose, the way that we oriented to the problem we were trying to solve. And instead of like proposing, you know, viable solutions, I just came across as like really preachy and really judgmental and, uh, it didn't, didn't go well. It didn't result in people caring more about that. It resulted in people being turned off. Um, so it was rich with learning, but I think my top line takeaway was uh, if I could step back and look differently at the goal, I had a lot of other choices that I could make besides sort of pounding the table in a moral, in what came across as a morally superior way, and that they were actually better at achieving the goal. So there's lots in there. Um, Tell me which way you want to go with it, but that's kind of what I took away from it. Um,
0: Well, let me, let me first say thank you for sharing that because I can imagine that, um, you know, there's a vulnerability required to say, people saw me as preachy or judgmental. (laughs) And I appreciate that you're willing to go there. But I would love if we could slow it down a little bit because what I'm hearing is somebody who's really had a lot of time to think about what they learned from the data, what it meant about them, how they might approach their goals differently. And I wanna bring folks on that journey with you. And so here's here's what I heard and, and tell me what it felt like as we went through this. So I'm hearing you say, you are somewhere, you know, mid-career, and you've been told over and over again that one of your superpowers is rallying people and rallying teams around a mission in a way that kind of is is led by a moral imperative. You're not afraid to say, this is what's right, and that's why we should pursue it. And in this case at Andela, that was about putting the developer talent first. It was about The potential of African technologists that um, was being overlooked, and what you could do to change that. And I think I'm hearing you say that um, when you got written feedback (laughs) that using that superpower, the thing you knew to be your superpower, was actually ineffective on your executive team, that at first that felt confusing. And we know using talentisms, words, and language that when when our brains experience something that feels counter to what we believe and what we know to be true, we feel that confusion, we start to tell a story. And sometimes it's about their idiots. (laughs) And sometimes the story is self-doubt. And I think I'm hearing you say in that first instant of getting that feedback, maybe what started to pop up was they just don't get it. Some version of their idiots. And then it, it was through a grappling with it that you opened up to explore the feedback a little bit more. Tell us about that. What did it take to open up and explore what you could be missing?
1: Yeah. So I would say for sure, absent time and space to, uh, to think through that feedback productively, I was, definitely went to a place of they just don't get it. And, uh, and I think a lot of founders feel that way you hire people in how could they possibly orient to what you care about so deeply. And so you do make up a, you, in this case, I think I inserted my role here is to pound the table and tell everyone how important this is and absent that it could be lost or, you know, I'm the only or the most important voice for that. And I think those were all narratives that I was telling myself. And so what uh, what the evidence allowed me to do was say can't just say it's two people or one person. Now you have you know an executive team of five and four of them are saying this that is a super majority <laughs> and 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 really say like okay you haven't just been in a dream world like there's clear evidence that you know you have been people say the same thing that are on your team and you do receive it well so what is different what's different about this team. And, you know, I think what I was able to parse apart was that it was my job to inspire and orient to mission for my team. And that, and the executive team, they were also my team. They were also my team of peers and that it didn't really matter why this feedback was rubbing them the wrong way. It was, and it was stopping all of us from achieving our goals. And so, in going back, in taking a step back, I was definitely able to then um, be curious, ask more questions, and uh, and then, you know, sit with it for a period of time. Like, you really have somewhere between pissed off, offended um, your colleagues by making them feel that they're, they were judged by you, or that they, their opinions aren't as important because they orient to the mission differently than you do. And I think all of that was good personal growth. But the company growth that took place was me saying, in many instances, I have a choice right now. What I feel I should do is definitely pound the, t- like dig in right here and pound the table. And what I'm, you know, like I, I'm fearful that, that something big is being lost. And what I, from a business perspective, I stopped doing that and I started saying, what is my goal? My goal here is to do X for our software developers. What are the multitude of voices? Is there Can we make this case using data? I have a ton of data about the talent side of the business. Is there a different way to reflect this information where it's not judgmental at all, where someone else makes the case where they don't have a raw spot around that person? I have some work to do now to make up for that raw spot. So coming from me, it sounds differently. Who else could say it? What else could do it? And all of those things helped us achieve more goals faster. And so that's the dopamine hit that the founder needs to make really tough changes about themselves. Like, of course it was a hit to my ego to not be the one saying those things that when it came so naturally and it came, you know, I was like, how could there possibly be a better voice for that thing than me? Well, the answer is like, if I saw us achieve the goal much faster and without any friction, and I, and you know, plus like a lot of times it allowed me to elevate somebody else on the team who had a really different skill set than mine. Like a lot of cool things happen to be able to make me think, what is the goal? And am I the best messenger for that goal? What are all the other ways that we could achieve it? And it just like expanded my tool belt in a, in a powerful way.
0: What I'm hearing from you is that in environments where you had built the team, you had set the tone, you were the boss that everyone looked up to it uh, felt very natural for you to lead with sort of this burning passion, this moral imperative, this moral compass. And your experience was people appreciated it. You got into environments where everybody had their own function, their own thing that they cared about, their own goal that they were pursuing, right? We see this on executive teams all the time between sales and product and engineering, and everyone's got their own goal. And uh, not only did you have your own goal, but for you, there was this righteous pursuit around it. And I think what I'm hearing you say is when it felt like people were dismissing that, that almost felt threatening. Like, guys, don't don't lose the thread. This is the most important thing for us to be doing. And I think I'm hearing you say that going into that protection of the thing you cared about most, ended up actually being detrimental in some ways, detrimental to your relationships with your peers on the executive team and detrimental to actually getting people to see the thing you cared about because of the way it was coming across, because of the almost protective and defensive thing that was happening. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. That there was a... um, That I also was... We could do a whole podcast on this, and you should, that when you really enter into... When you step into an executive role, a true executive role, that it's not you representing your team; that that is your team, that's your new team. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't need to defend to these people. I've, you know, like I did, in fact, have to uh, look at all of their cares and responsibilities and look at all of us as achieving some big goals together and giving and taking based on each other's goals. And there's a. Um, I think it's hard for founders that is hard for founders to be like, we actually share accountability and responsibility. And so when you tell me that that thing that's core to our mission is also, you can't execute on it or we can't afford it right now. Like that's not just a place for me to double down. i got to figure out how we can, you know, there is just a different calculus to make. So I think it, it de- definitely helped me realize, a uh, orient to the the senior team in a different way and then look at this thing that i've been given you know the the lesson was not hey you're you're just bad at feedback universally lesson was like context really matters and that thing is a useful skill set in some contexts and a not useful in other contexts so you know it's a more specific tool than you thought you thought it was a universal tool and it's not like so rich with learning
0: yeah. I think what I'm hearing you say, I was I was about to ask you, you know, how did that change your action? How did it change your orientation to your team of peers on the C-suite? And, and how did it change your action? And I think I'm hearing you say, rather than thinking about how to protect the thing I cared about when it felt like it was under threat, I started to ask myself, what is the shared goal that we have? Because if I just double down on the message I've been sending, I'm actually alienating others, and I'm losing the opportunity to reorient to what is the thing we actually share. What is the thing we're going after together? Um, and so, I, I I I think that that's such a hard thing to do. <laughs> what what you mentioned the dopamine hit. Um, what let you what let you go there to go from sort of that protective look. My ideas. I know my idea is right and important. To what could I be missing and how can I convey what I'm thinking in a way that connects for others? Yeah.
1: So I do think I had to to sit back and and have, you know, somebody make help me make sense of, look, in these two or three different instances when you just like, you know, came in full force with this, like, did it actually achieve your goals? And look at that. And the answer was no, it didn't. And so I, I had to step back and say, this is stopping you from achieving your goals. Now what else? what else can you do differently? And what could you put in the middle there? And then like some really beautiful things started to happen. As I said, it's like, you know, there, we had people on our exec team that were uh, extremely data driven. And if there was just a way for me to say, we've actually been collecting this, let's look at it together and have the data tell the story that is just it lacked controversy that me being the messenger did. You know, there's just a lot of th- beautiful things that happened when I was like, what is the goal? If mm-hmm. my goal is to have people consider how does this choice affect developers and every choice that me, we make, um, what are the multitude of ways to, to, to do that, to prove that? What are the voices around the table? Um, when you, you know, have that feeling of fear, what is truly at risk and work backwards from there, and look at what what are the other ways to achieve it. And so, I can think of so many different. Um, I'll tell you a really one really cool uh, thing that came out of this was we spent in our early days quite a lot of resources to um, bring a gifted filmmaker all the way to Lagos to kind of tell some of the key stories around what was there, why we were doing it, da, da, da. and. Obviously, I viewed myself as like central to this exercise and you know how we would shape it. Da, da, da. Well, we just ended up not being able to be there. We had to be at something else. And I was like in total threat state about spending money on this, whatever, you know. And I just let go and I was like, you've hired very qualified people. Tell them the essence of what, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve that you're doing this for, and let it go. And to this day, if you guys, if you're curious, go online and Google, this is Andela. There's a piece that is the entirety of it is short clips of our software developers in Lagos reading out our value statement for the company, and like I'm gonna tear up right now. It's just, I watch it before every single speaking role. It is the greatest piece, and it was because I just let the team do their thing, and I was in total threat state about that, and that I you know had to be there. Wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be complete without it. It's like. Different skill sets came out, different abilities came out. Like we created this beautiful thing because I just like let go and let people solve that problem a different way.
0: (laughs) I'm hearing you say, when I don't need to be the person front and center, and when I don't have to win my way, beautiful things can happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think
1: that we go back to the our conversation at the very beginning. You assume that this thing can only scale with you. And there is like a really beautiful freedom to like, if we're doing this right, everybody gets layered. If we're doing this right, we, we keep adding on new levels of specificity and skill sets. And you know, we bring different things to it that is a constant exercise of letting go and taking on new stuff, but letting go of others.
0: I was going to ask you um, your words of advice for founders who might be grappling with exactly this challenge. Um, how do I deploy myself and how should I change that? And people are giving me feedback and I disagree with it. but I think you already answered that question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I, I'll, if I would summarize and I think it's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now is there are patterns. Of challenges for founders, it feels like you're alone. It, feels, it is the first time you're experiencing this, and it's the first time you're building this. But there are patterns, and one is joining an executive team and really sharing power with those executive teams, and feeling like they are, you know, don't orient to your baby in the same way that you do. Like there's, we're here, there's support. They're like. Things that happen in that phase where you can see yourself more clearly, where you can, you know, move through it. I just thought I that was just news to me that that was yeah. a knowable thing, that that would be a point of friction, and that there were tools and skill sets that I could build upon to get better at it. Like, and that's I feel that way for a lot of phases of company growth. Is that it feels very lonely? Feels like you're the only one experiencing it. And you're not.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Christina, and I know you got to jump, um, and I appreciate you being
1: here. Absolutely. It was my pleasure, Angie. Thank you. Thanks.